there is no other way that a church can be healthy apart from the grace of God. And in this, we'll see that saving faith is not one that just removes the guilt and the punishment from sin, but saving faith always results in glorification of God. To give you an example, when we come to faith in God, it gives God glory because he has redeemed us. He has chosen to come into the world as a man to suffer and to bleed and to die to redeem us who are fallen, to bring us back into relationship with him. That gives God glory because it reveals that he is, in fact, gracious. It reveals that he is, in fact, loving and kind to us. I often, at times, I, I read people who have write, wrote hymns that we sing in church, and, and I read the reasons of why they write the hymns, or I read their life story. And some of us may not know, but John Newton, who wrote this song that we love to sing, Amazing Grace, do you guys know that he lived a life that did not honor Christ before he came to faith? Uh, to give you a brief idea of, of what his life was like, he was a captain of, of a slave ship. He, he would go to Africa, buy slaves, go all the way to America and sell slaves. He, he was heavily invested in the slave trade. But one day he came to faith in Christ. And the moment he came to faith in Christ... He abandoned that work. He, he, he literally turned over a new leaf and honored Christ with his life. In fact, this is something that he wrote. I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. That saving grace, that faith when we come to faith in Christ. This is what John Newton is writing about. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. This evening, can we say that, that I'm not what I used to be, I'm not what I dreamed to be, but I am what God has declared me to be, and that's righteous before his eyes. So let us read in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are jealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. This evening I want to speak to you guys on what is the results of grace. And in this text, as we'll go through this, there are four results that Paul gives us of what grace does for us. The first result, if you will, is that grace, saving grace, does in fact save us. Notice what Paul wrote in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. 
want us to pause there for one moment. The grace of God has appeared. Do you guys recall what John wrote in his gospel account of Jesus Christ in the first chapter? He was with God before the beginning of God, and he has appeared. Uh, If you will, turn over to John chapter 1 with me, and we'll read what John wrote. page went stick I can get there a little bit faster John writes this in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it there was a man sent from God whose name was John He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light. So here in just these first eight verses, we see this notion of John is writing in this aspect of Jesus Christ. How Jesus Christ is eternal, and then how he came in his incarnation. And he's writing about what John the baptizer declared. And if you notice... John the Baptist here, the baptizer, did not claim that he was the light. He was that forerunner. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Do you guys see this? Uh, just, just in these first 16 or 17 verses here, just reading through it, I think I've counted four times here, that John uses that grace has appeared. Grace is here. We turn to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared. Paul was speaking of Jesus Christ. This grace of God And we know it's the grace of God because it is Christ removing himself from the glories of heaven, coming as a man, living as a man, suffering as a man to redeem us. For the grace of God has appeared. So we see here God's grace is sufficient to save us from our sins. Isn't that a wonderful for the grace of God has appeared. Now, there will be likely some who will say, though, this is because Paul says, bring your salvation for all people. Paul is not arguing that everybody will be saved eventually. No, Paul is saying those who come to faith in Christ will be saved. That's what Paul believed. That's what we believe. But what Paul is saying here, that 
the gift of salvation is available to all people. This grace is found in Jesus Christ. This grace was found in the work of Jesus Christ. We just read in John, you know, Jesus came in grace and truth. Anytime Jesus dealt with a sinner in the gospel accounts, how did he handle those sinners? He handled them with grace. It's the grace of God that saves us. It's God's goodwill to us that saves us. Now, I, I want us to understand that there is also the, the aspect of common grace. We understand that because the Bible teaches us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That God cares for all people in the sense of everybody can breathe air that is rightfully God's. And we can go in a, a long depth of this, but Paul is speaking of a specific person, and that specific person is grace. This is the reason that we have hope. Because the grace of God has appeared. You know, I also think of 1 John, when he's speaking, we have held him felt him, we have held on to him, we have seen him, we have heard him. Paul says, you know, I'm an apostle born out of due time. But Paul, I'm sure, understood precisely what it meant that the grace of God has appeared. We don't have to dive long because you guys are well aware of the story of Paul. A persecutor of the church, a murderer, but the grace of God. This, this is the result of saving grace. It fully saves us. Bringing salvation for all people. Said that whosoever will come will be saved. Paul writes in Romans, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The grace of God has appeared to all. The second result that we see here in this text of what saving grace does is it sanctifies us. Notice, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And notice in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God sanctifies us. Notice, for the grace of God, you know, a healthy church, Paul just spent a long time, nearly two whole chapters, speaking of what a healthy church looks like. And then here in the last portion of chapter 2, in just four verses, he's breaking down why a church is healthy, and it's because the grace of God is present. Training us to renounce ungodliness. Do you know the grace of God calls us to renounce ungodliness? Again, thinking of Jesus Christ and his ministry on the earth in the gospel accounts. He comes to somebody caught in sin. 
Where's your, where's your accusers at? Go and sin no more. I do not condemn you either. Yeah, yes, Christ redeemed that person, but he always calls us to go and sin no more. Paul believes this as well because he says training us to renounce all ungodliness. Throughout the history of the world, there have been many attempts of people trying to convince believers to deny. And and the word they use is renounce Christ. Some have undoubtedly have, but there's been a vast multitude who did not bow down to that. They claimed Christ is all I need. There's a church father who who church history tells us was the apostle or disciple, not apostle, but the disciple of John. And as they were leading him to be burned alive, they gave him one last chance. Renounce Jesus Christ. Deny Jesus Christ and you will live. And Polycarp declared, 50 years I have served my Christ. 50 years Christ has been good to me. I will not turn my back on him. They went to tie his hand before they lit the stake, and he said, no, I am settled. And they they say that as he was burning alive, there was no scream of pain because he was in complete peace with God. The reason this happened is because the grace of God affected him. And the grace of God can affect us today if we allow it to. If we allow ourselves to be inside the grace of God, to be controlled by the Spirit, to be controlled by the grace, it will train us to renounce all ungodliness. The Bible declares that God is holy. That is a true statement. God is holy. A few months ago, we finished the book of Isaiah, and in the first part of Isaiah, Isaiah sees the throne room of God, And the angels are around crying out, holy, holy, holy. God is holy. Sin cannot stand in his presence. And it's because of the grace of God. We can, though we are sinners, but because God is good and gracious, he declares us righteous. But like I said, saving grace does not just remove punishment and guilt, true saving faith that is involved in grace, the grace of God, brings us to a lifestyle of sanctification. And I think it's wise for us to understand because Paul says training us. He does not say, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, so that you fully renounce ungodliness at the moment of your salvation, that you fully renounce worldly passions the moment that you came to faith in Christ. No, he said, training us. This grace of God, when we live in it throughout our lives, this is why sanctification is a process. This is why sanctification is a lifelong duty of a believer. Because sanctification does not happen at the moment of conversion. Sanctification happens throughout the entirety of the believer's life. 
Sanctification is simply becoming more like Jesus every day. Again, going back to that quote of John Newton, I am not what I used to be, but I am what I am because of the grace of God. Today, we see this. Paul spent a lengthy time detailing what what makes a quality leader in the church. And I think it's wise for us to remember a quality church, a healthy church, and a healthy church leadership is one that is being transformed by the grace of God. One that has already been transformed by being declared right by God but now is being transformed throughout their day the day life. You know, being continually being filled with the Spirit, being renewed with the Spirit day in and day out, living a life that honors Christ day in and day out. This is what it means that grace sanctifies us. We live free of the guilt and punishment of sin because we are in Christ. But God wants us to go deeper. He doesn't want us to be stagnant. He wants us to fully be in relationship with Him. Notice that Paul, after saying that grace sanctifies us, that living godly lives in this present age, and I think that's important, living godly lives in this present age, Paul, when he's concluding his ministry, he says that the time will come where people will no longer endure sound teaching. They'll find teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. But we as believers are to stick with the truth, and the truth is the word of God. And Paul here tells us godly, live a godly lifestyle in the present age, this age of darkness. Remember that, yes, God is sovereign over all things, but at this present time, Satan is loose on the earth, and he is the God of this world. Waiting for our blessed hope in verse 13. Living a godly life in this present age is waiting for our blessed hope. This is the third result of grace. Grace gives us hope. There have been many times that people have been hopeless. There may be many times that you, yourselves, have been found yourself hopeless. But it is the grace of God that gives us hope. The church, we, we don't have to go long. We could turn on the news tonight and we could see how hopeless the United States is. But because of the grace of God, we have a hope that we can wait on. We have a hope that will soon come, and that hope is Jesus Christ. This is why we're to live sanctified lives. This is why we are called to come fully to Christ in salvation. Don't be like others who just have this intellectual knowledge, but no, place your firm faith in Christ. 
believe in him. One person writes this concerning waiting on our blessed hope. The blessed hope of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appearing in glory at the rapture also motivates the sensitive Christian to honor God by his or her behavior now. While we're waiting on our blessed hope, live a lifestyle that honors God. Live a lifestyle that says Christ can return at any moment. I want to live a lifestyle that says God, that Jesus Christ is my Lord, that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I want us to say that we're not merely waiting on an event. We're not necessarily waiting on the rapture. We're waiting on Jesus Christ. We're not just waiting for the rapture to call us up. We're waiting on Jesus Christ, the one whom we are caught up to. Us waiting on the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, drives us to live a grace-filled life. Church, do you know there are many churches who are so focused on the law, they're so focused on adding extra steps that they totally neglect grace. Us waiting on God drives us to live a godly lifestyle, but live a godly lifestyle that is affected in living in the grace of God. Paul earlier in this book tells Timothy, don't allow those who are teaching the church to follow after man's traditions, but continue. Train them not to do that or, or just have them cease from teaching at all. Because it's not man's traditions that demonstrates we live in a lifestyle that we are saved by grace. It's in a lifestyle that we are saved in grace that we wait on our Lord and Savior expectantly, that we wait on Him serving Him daily. Wait on our blessed hope. Next, we see this fourth result of saving grace is that it causes us to worship God. Notice in verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Notice in verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. We see here in this passage, Paul is praising God, you know, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for a, himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous, who worship God, who God is their primary target in life. Truthfully, the only natural response of somebody being affected by the grace of God is to praise him for his grace. Paul says, you're Christ's own possession. Praise him. 
Ephesians 2 verse 10 reads this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think of the Psalms, the Jewish hymn book, if you will, constantly praising God for his grace, his mercy, his protection. They wasn't praising God because he was violent and he was cruel and he was distant. No, they were praising God because he was their shield and stronghold in time of adversity. They were praising God because his grace has affected them and they see that they are living in companionship with God. That God is there and he is their God. Think of Paul when he's writing, you know, encourage each other with spiritual songs and hymns and leaping praises on God. Or in Romans chapter 12, this is your spiritual worship. Serve God. Worship is not just only singing praises to God. It's praying silently as you drive down the road, thanking God for his grace that is set upon your life. Worshiping God is serving others because you are declaring that God is worthy of worship and because he is worthy, I'm obedient to his word and his word tells me to serve others. Titus is to declare these things. He is to exhort, to encourage them to be in the grace of God. To live their life fully involved and enveloped in this grace of God. He is also to rebuke those who are not living in this way. And those who are not living in this way are those who are the false teachers. Just to give you a brief idea of what these false teachers are like, uh, just jump back with me to chapter 1, verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be, fa- may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. These are the people he's to be rebuking. Titus is not to rebuke those who are living a grace-saturated life. He's to rebuke those who are leading people away from that grace-filled life. The grace-filled life is one that changes us. Paul spends four verses here detailing the grace of God and how the grace of God affects every aspect of the church. Primarily, it affects that the church is saved because of the grace of God. 
It affects the church because the grace of God sanctifies the church. The grace of God affects the church because it gives the church hope when the world is evil. And the grace of God affects the church because it causes the church to worship the God who is gracious. Remember, church, saving faith is not one that just removes guilt and punishment from sin, but saving faith will result in a changed life that glorifies God. And we've seen that. You're changed. Yes, you had that removal of punishment and guilt of sin because of the graciousness of God. That gives God glory. You're being saved, that sanctification process, that gives God glory. You're expecting him to return and to redeem this world. And you're living in that time of waiting, living and serving him. That gives God glory. You're praising God because he is gracious. That gives God glory. There's this uh, story of a young lady who accepted Christ. Um, She went to join the church as a member. And um, as she was attempting to join the church, a, a deacon asked her, were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus in your life? She replied, yes, I was most certainly a sinner. The old deacon replied, well, are you still a sinner? And she replied, to tell the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. The old deacon comes back. Then what change have you experienced? And this was her response. I don't quite know how to explain it, she said. Except I used to be a sinner running after sin. But now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. Church, are we running to the grace of God this evening? As this week have gone by, have we ran to the grace of God during any type of struggles, confrontations we've had? Are we fleeing to our sinful nature? Are we fleeing to the flesh and saying, the flesh is right? Are we allowing God to be God of our lives? May this evening we run to the grace of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father...